I've entitled this message, I Will Be Surety for Him. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I don't know that a scripture moves me any more than this passage of scripture. Because as soon as I say that, somebody's going to think, well, it doesn't move me. That Maybe something's wrong with me. I don't want you to think like that. May you just not think like that. And let's think about what this passage of scripture actually says. Judah says, I will be surety for him. What tribe did Christ come from? Judah. Judah says, with regard to Benjamin, I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee, and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. Now understand this. The Lord said this with regard to every single one of his people. He said this with regard to you before the foundation of the world. He said, if I bring him, he said to his father, if I bring him or her not back to thee, and set them before thee, let me bear the blame forever. Now to introduce this message, I first would like to look at a passage in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety. There's the word. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament or a better covenant. And this is speaking of him being much better, infinitely better than the covenant of works. Look in this same chapter in verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 7. And this is talking about the Levitical priesthood. This is talking about the Old Testament economy. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. Now he's talking about the Levitical priesthood. He's talking about the Old Testament economy. And he says it's disannulled. It's weak. It's unprofitable. When people say we need to do like they did in the Old Testament, well, here's what the writer of the Hebrews says about that. Look in verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Look in chapter 8, verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, 
by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second, for finding fault with them. This is God finding fault with You say, well, how can he find fault with um, the covenant that he wrote in the first place and that he gave? Well, it doesn't say. He knew that. It was only given to picture the gospel, but the first covenant could never save. It was weak and unprofitable. That's what God says about the Old Testament economy and the Old Testament covenant. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Look in this last verse of chapter 8. In that he saith a new covenant, he's made the first old. The Levitical covenant, the Old Testament as it were. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now, these are God's words with regard to the old covenant. And by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better covenant. How much? Infinitely much. <laughs> Infinitely much. The covenant of grace of which Christ stood as the surety, the guarantee, that means my salvation. The salvation of everybody he stood as a surety for is guaranteed. There is no possibility of anybody that Christ stood as a surety for being lost. He took full responsibility for our salvation. Now, I love that passage of scripture in Ephesians 1.13 where it says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted Christ. Who first trusted Christ? God the Father did. He trusted him before me and you were around. And he trusted Jesus Christ. He entrusted Christ with our salvation. He first trusted Christ. And that's why we're saved. Because Christ stood as a surety for us. I love uh, John chapter 17, the Lord's great high priestly prayer for his people before he went to the cross, just before he went to the cross. In that prayer, six times he refers to those the Father gave me. Speaking of those that he was a surety for. And this is illustrated so beautifully in this passage of scripture. Now, let me remind you of what was taking place Benjamin was Jacob's favorite son. He thought Joseph was dead. And so he demonstrates blatant favoritism toward Benjamin. You see, Benjamin and Joseph were both the sons of his favorite wife, Rachel. And over and over again, he demonstrated how much more he loved Benjamin than the rest of that bunch. And you can't read the passage of Scripture without seeing that, his love for Benjamin. Look in chapter 44, verse 30. This is Judah speaking 
to Joseph. He doesn't yet know who Joseph is. All he knows is that Joseph is the ruler of Egypt and he thinks that he might uh, take Benjamin as a slave and he has stood as a surety. Now look at these words when he's speaking to Joseph. Now therefore when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, Benjamin, that one who Judah stood as a surety for, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life. That's how much he cared about Benjamin. His life was bound up in the lad's life. It shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he'll die. And thy servant shall bring down thy gray hairs of thy servant, or the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then shall I bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad a moment. Take me, don't take him. I have made full responsibility for him. Now, you'll remember that Joseph had told his ten brothers after they left the first time with food, he said, if you don't bring Benjamin back to me, your little brother, you're not going to see my face. Here's the one qualification for you men to come back. You're going to have to bring Benjamin, your little brother, and that'll prove whether or not you're true men. They still didn't know this was Joseph. They just thought he was the ruler of Egypt. Now let's pick up in verse 29 of chapter 42. I'm in the wrong chapter. Um, Give me a second. Well, let me tell you what happened at any rate. I can't find it in here right now. But um, they were in, I know where it's at. Chapter 42, let's begin in verse 36. And Jacob, chapter 42, verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me, have you bereaved of my children? Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and when you take Benjamin away, all these things are against me. Now Reuben speaks up. He doesn't want to send Benjamin. Now Reuben speaks up. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, Benjamin, and I'll bring him to thee again. Now, that's interesting what he says. If I fail, kill your two grandsons. Now, let's think about that just for a moment. Reuben had a perverted sense of justice. Slay my two sons. Reuben had a horrible view of his father. Surely you'll be satisfied if you kill your two grandsons if I mess up. 
What a horrible view he had of his father. And he had no sense of personal responsibility. He didn't say, slay me. He said, slay my two sons if I mess up. Now, what I see in this is man's religion. In all three senses, no understanding of God's justice. You know, that's seen in the horrible teaching of universal redemption that Jesus Christ died for all men without exception. And some of those people that he actually paid for their sins, they're going to wind up in hell anyway. They're going to have to pay for sins that have already been paid for. That's a horrible miscarriage of the justice of God. It's a perverted view of the justice of God. And there's uh, no personal responsibility. Um, Kill my two boys. Not me. I think of uh, Adam after he fell. What did he say? The woman you gave me. This is not my fault. The woman you gave me. She gave me of the fruit. And I did eat. And there's a false presentation of the character of God. That's what's going on with Reuben. But you know, Jacob knew Reuben. Uh, As a matter of fact, before he died, when he's talking about Reuben, what did he say about Reuben? Unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel. He wasn't going to send his beloved child with Reuben. He knew better than that. Look what he says in verse 38. And he said, my son shall not go down with you. (laughs) He knew Reuben. He he wasn't going to let that happen. Uh, Reuben was not the man to bring his son down. For his brother is dead and he's left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which you go, then shall you bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. So they can't go to Egypt without Benjamin. Reuben says, I'll get him down there. I'll bring him back safely. Jacob says, no way. I do not trust my beloved son with the likes of you. Well, they're getting hungrier. They're getting hungrier. Verse 1 of chapter 43, And the famine was sore in the land. And it came to pass when they'd eaten up the corn which they'd brought out of Egypt. You remember that happened in last chapter. Their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, You shall not see my face except your brother be with you. I guess they thought they'd be executed if they came down without Benjamin. We're not going to do that. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether you had a, yet a brother? Why did you even tell him that in the first place? And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words, Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? We had no idea that was going to take place. And then Judah speaks up. And Judah said unto Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go down that we may live 
and not die. Both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, let me bear the blame forever. Now, if you're a believer, you can put your name in Benjamin's place. The Lord said that with regard to you. I will be surety for him. And notice he says, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. Now, remember this, everything the Lord Jesus Christ did, he did as we. He didn't act independently. When he was keeping the law, he was doing it for whoever was in that we that he spoke of. All of the elect, every believer. He said to John the Baptist, thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. When he fulfilled all righteousness, I did too. He did what he did as a we, and he said, I will be surety for him. Now, what is a surety? Judah says, I take full responsibility for him. What you require of him, you look to me for. Very much like what Paul said to, to Onesimus, if he hath wronged thee, speaking of, of the runaway slave, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written with my own hand, I will repay it. Now, I've told you this before, but it, it, it serves as a, a way to illustrate this. When I was uh, 18 years old, um, I wanted to get a car. It cost $600. And I didn't have $600. And there's a guy I went to high school with. His dad worked at the bank. And I thought, well, he'll give me a loan. I mean, I know his son. His, his name was Mr. Porter. And I went to the bank to get that loan. And he looked at me and said, I can't give you a loan. And why? How will you pay for it? Well, I'll pay for it. I've, I've got a job. I'll pay for it. Well, I can't give you that loan unless you have somebody as your surety that will bear complete responsibility for that loan. So I went to my grandfather and I asked my grandfather, will you sign uh, and be my co-signer and be a surety for me so I can pay this $600 debt. And I was getting a 67 Mustang. I wish I had it today. But um, uh, he said, I'll sign for you. So I went to the bank. I got the loan, $600. And uh, the payments were $67 a month for 12 years. That means I paid over $800 to pay back the loan, and I got to think, but that's 25% interest. I didn't realize that at the time. I didn't even think about it, but here's the point I want to make. I paid that loan. My granddad didn't. Now, he would have. He would have been held responsible to get that loan paid, but I paid every payment. I remember how liberating it was when I made that last payment. I was debt-free. car was mine. Didn't owe any money. 
And I felt pretty good about that. That's not the kind of surety Judah was. That does not illustrate in the Lord Jesus Christ did not guarantee to be my surety if I mess up and if I can't do it. And he's just waiting to see what I do. No, at the very beginning, he took complete responsibility for my salvation. He wasn't just standing in the background waiting to see how I do and if I couldn't make some of the payments, he'd take up for it. No, he took full responsibility for my salvation. He said, I will be surety for him. And I think the verb tense is very interesting of I will be surety. It's a continuous tense. That's the verb tense. I will continually, nonstop, be his surety. Not just when he can't make the payment. I will nonstop, continuously be his surety. He took me and he carried me all the way as my surety. Not just standing in the background if I mess up. He said, whatever you require of him, you look to me for. I take complete, full responsibility for his salvation. And that's exactly what Christ did as my surety before time began. He said this with regard to all of his people. Put your name in there. Your name personally. He knew you. He loved you. And there's one other scripture that I think illustrates this suretyship as well as anyone I know. Would you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9? Second Samuel chapter 9. Now, if you read 2 Samuel chapter 8, it's about King David's conquests. And after chapter 8, David is the most powerful military might in the world. Israel had their day at this time. They're, I mean, the Chronicles, the Chronicles account says the fear of David was on every nation. Now, this is his position of power. He didn't have any enemies. They were all destroyed. And he was speaking from a position, humanly speaking, as the most powerful man in the universe or in the world. Whatever he wanted to do, he could do. Who's going to stop him? He's King David. Everybody was afraid of him. You don't mess with David. If we mess with Israel, we'll be destroyed. The fear of David, the scripture says, was on every nation. Now, what a powerful man this man was. Now, look what he says in chapter 9, verse 1. This is after David's conquests. And David said, Is there yet any that's left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, if you read through the kings, when another king rose up and took a king's place you know what the first thing they did they killed all their descendants and they were just 
of protecting themselves. I mean, their children may rise up and kill me in vengeance about what I've done to their father. So what they do is they just kill all their kids. And you can find that happening over and over and over again if you read the Kings and the Chronicles. That's what took place. Well, Saul was the one who wanted David dead. And Saul spent all of his time uh, trying to kill David. And this is uh, after Saul was already dead. David doesn't say or any of uh, Saul's descendants around so I can kill him. He says, is there any left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, who's Jonathan? Well, he was the son of Saul, and he was David's best friend. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 18. This is right after David defeated Goliath, that great uh, 17th chapter. What a, what a glorious gospel type is in that chapter. If David wins, all of Israel wins. If David loses, all of Israel loses. Guess what? David wins. And the Philistines are utterly defeated. And Jonathan is beholding all this, the way uh, David spoke so courageously to Goliath. And verse, chapter 18, verse 1, it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul. Jonathan heard all this. And, the, and John, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Oh, the relationship that existed between Jonathan and David. The, oh, they loved each other. And David, I mean, Jonathan would look out for him. When Saul was wanting to kill David, uh, Jonathan would warn him about what was going to take place. Now, look in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 11. And Jonathan said unto David, Come and let us go out into the field. And they went out both of them into the field. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel. I don't even know how to comment on that. David was David. But yet he saw into who David's son is. And he says to David, and I believe that he's speaking of the son of David, David's Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Somehow he saw, and he calls him, O Lord God of Israel. When I've sounded my father about Tomorrow, any time, or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I then sin not unto thee, and show it to thee, the Lord do so much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do thee evil, then will I show it to thee, and send thee away, that thou mightst go in peace, and the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. Now, remember, Saul wanted him dead. 
And he says, if I find out that my father wants to kill you, I'll warn you before it takes place. Verse 14. <clears throat> and thou shalt not only while I yet live show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, everyone from the face of the earth. Now, Jonathan knew that David was going to become the king of all the earth. And he said, when you're king, remember me in mercy. And not me only, but also my descendants. A covenant was made before this took place in chapter 9. And thou shalt not only while I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, everyone from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemy. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now here we have this agreement. Jonathan says, after I'm dead and the Lord has cut off all your enemies, I want you to show the kindness of God to my descendants. Now look in chapter 4 of 2 Samuel. This is after Saul has been defeated. This is some years later. Verse 1, and when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were feeble and all the Israelites were troubled. And Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands. The name of the one was Baana and the name of the other Rechab, the sons of Rimmon and Berothite of the children of Benjamin. For Berotha also was reckoned to Benjamin. And the Berothites fled to Githiam and were sojourners there until this day. And Jonathan... Saul's son had a son. Now remember, he says, you show kindness to my descendants. Jonathan had a son. And look how he's described. He was lame in his feet. He couldn't walk. And he was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, lame through a fall. What's that? That is so clear, the gospel. I mean, that, that he became lame through a fall. Now, he's been off in hiding, afraid of what was going to take place. You know, he all he knew was that if David got him, he'd probably kill him because he was a descendant of Saul. And that's what they did. Now, back to chapter 9. David now remembers that covenant. He doesn't have any enemies. He's the most powerful man in the world. And David said, Is there yet any that's left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Very much like 
God says, is there any left of the house of Adam that I may show him kindness for Christ's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, but there's a problem. He's lame in both of his feet. He won't do you any good at all. He can't work for you. He can't fight for you. All he can be is carried. He's lame in both of his feet. He won't be anything but trouble to you. He's just going to be an expense. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Emiliel in Lodabar. Now, what if David would have said, well, you get him to come here and I'll give him mercy. What good would that have done him? None. He was lame in both of his feet. Then King David sent and fetched him. Somebody once brought a message entitled Fetching Grace. David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Emiliel, from Lodabar. Invincible grace. If you belong to the Lord, he's going to have you. He's going to have you. Verse 6. Now, when Mephibosheth, his name means shameful thing. What a name. <laughs> what motivated his mom and dad to give him a name like that? I don't know, but it fits, doesn't it? Shameful thing. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face. And he did reverence. Now you can be sure that he didn't know what David's intentions were. He very well may have thought he's going to execute me as the son of Saul. And what did he do? He fell on his face and did reverence. And that's what anybody does who comes into the presence of the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ, who says for Jonathan's sake, you're going to fall on your face before him in your heart, and you're going to do reverence. You're not going to tell him what to do. You're not going to, you're going to do reverence. Whatever he does, I'm in his hand. You will worship him. You'll only worship an absolute sovereign. 
And that's what Mephibosheth is doing at this time. He fell on his face and did reverence. He didn't tell him what to do. He just bowed down to wait to see what he would say. Now, that's the way it is when somebody comes to Jesus Christ. Any other way is a false way. This is the way I come. I come bowing before him, doing reverence. He's Lord. I'm in his hand. And David said, Mephibosheth. He called him by name. Mephibosheth. And I have no doubt that when he looked upon Mephibosheth, and if you go on reading, there's other things about Mephibosheth. He was a loyal servant of David after this. But um, I have no doubt that when David looked upon Mephibosheth, he saw somebody else. He saw Jonathan's face. He thought of that covenant that he made with him so many years ago. He thought of how he agreed to be a surety for the descendants of Jonathan. He sees this man lame on both of his feet. And he says, Mephibosheth. And he said, Behold thy servant. He didn't know what to say. Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he, Mephibosheth, bowed himself and said, What is thy servant? that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am. Now that's every believer's response. We hear the gospel. I'll surely, God says to every believer, I'll surely show you kindness for Christ's sake. Everything is restored to you. And you're going to eat bread at my table. What was Mephibosheth's response? Why would you look on such a dead dog as me. Verse 9. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I've given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Everything's working together for our good, isn't it? Thou shalt till the land for him. And thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, my, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto 
Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. For he did eat continually at the king's table. And somehow, miraculously, his ability to walk was restored. No. No. The last thing that said of him is he was lame on both his feet. And he stayed lame on both his feet. Now, if I was writing this story, that's not the way I would write it. I would have, I guess, what I would consider a happier ending. But he was lame in both of his feet, but his feet were covered at the king's table. And there was a time coming when he would be lame no more, perfectly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. David took full responsibility for Jonathan's descendants. There was one lame in his feet, lame through a fall, and he was made to eat continually at the king's table. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you that our Redeemer stood as our surety and guaranteed our salvation and came to this earth and kept your holy law for us and bore our sins in his own body on the tree and put them away and was raised from the dead because you were completely satisfied with what he did and everybody he did it for. And Lord, we take our place with Mephibosheth. We thank you for our surety. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we take the Lord's table together, I hope we can do so as Mephibosheth's sitting at the king's table, eating what he provides knowing our lameness and knowing one of these days we won't be lame anymore.